Welcome to the Marketing Stir Podcast by Starista, probably the most entertaining marketing podcast you're going to put in your ears. I'm Jared Walls, Associate Producer and Starista's Creative Copy Manager. The goal of this podcast is to chat with industry leaders to get their take on the current challenges of the market, but also have a little fun along the way. In this episode, VP of B2B Products, Vincent Petrofessa, and CEO AJ Gupta chat with Christina Prokop, CEO and co-founder of IOTA. Christina explains how being a Swiss army knife led to the success of founding a company, how she had a leg up in complying with GDPR, and how she found herself living in Germany. Also, Vincent invites himself to an online happy hour. Give it a listen. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that's right. It's Vincent Petrofessa. The VP of B2B Products here at Starista with another episode, The Marketing Stir, coming at you. It's so great to be here with me, as always, my co-pilot on this journey, my CEO, Mr. AJ Gupta. What's going on, AJ? Hey, Vincent. I am doubly excited today. We have a great guest, and we have our first Bloody Mary hour tomorrow, so I am looking forward to to that. I don't know why I did not do it before, but uh, tomorrow should be great. That's awesome. I love when you are happy, but doubly happy is even better. That's a Bloody Mary, huh? Well, what about us remote folks in New York City? What could I do? Uh, I don't know. Maybe you could make your own and serve it to yourself. <laughs> <laughs> Plain and simple. It's like, how about you just drink one by yourself and be all alone? Thank you so much, AJ. I love it. I will... I will do that. I will think about it tomorrow. It's yeah, tomorrow's always like it's it's always like great to get the happy hours together. So you get in the whole office together or kind of a virtual? No, this is this is virtual. So everybody is more or less in the uh same boat as you. So uh it is uh self-help tomorrow. Yeah. Oh, so th- oh good. So well, I'll expect my invite to uh come on over. I did not receive that yet. Must have got lost in the uh in the mail. Well, that that is uh, surprising. Uh, maybe we did it on purpose. I don't know, but I'll make sure I didn't. <laughs> well, now you have to invite me. I just pity invited myself. So thank you so much. But yes, doubly excited. Like you said, we ha- you're having some Bloody Marys. It's good to have the happy hour, keep the morale up. But the other reason, the main reason, AJ, is because of our guest today. I'd love to introduce to the podcast... Welcome to the Marketing Stir, the CEO and co-founder at IOTA, ladies and gentlemen, Christina Prokop. What's going on, Christina? Hi. Thank you so much for having me today. That's a very, uh, very, very big and exciting intro. I hope I can live up to all of this, uh, all of this build up here. So I'm triply excited. I'm also equally disappointed that I haven't gotten an invite, which also mm-hmm. must have gotten lost in my email. Um, but yeah, pity parties. I'm in for the pity party. So if it's in an hour that I can make it, <laughs> any any <laughs> external partners invited? Uh, well, I guess you'll be the first one, Christina. And- <laughs> <laughs> no, so th- thanks a lot. Thanks a lot for having me today. Uh, no problem. And yes, of course, it's a warm welcome. We're happy to have you here. A lot of people are like, are you always like that? Is this your energy, Vin? Yes, it is. This is my energy all the time, Christina. It drives AJ crazy. It drives, more importantly, my wife crazy. So uh, yes, we are excited to, to be here uh, with you. So thank you so much. Christina, you are the co-founder and CEO of IOTA. 
And for those of us listening, this is you know a podcast for our industry peers. Tell us about your role at IOTA and, and more importantly, what IOTA does. Yeah, sure. Um, so as you mentioned very rightly, I'm the CEO and uh, co-founder of IOTA. Uh, the company is just about uh, just going into 10 years old in October. Um, so we've we've been around for quite a while in the data space. Uh, IOTA is in a provider of audience um, audience technology, and everything that we do is revolving around activating, distributing, and monetizing different uh, di- different data assets. Um, so on the one hand, for targeting of advertising, uh, so the audience segments that that uh, agencies and brands are using. Um, onboarding data for for brands across the ecosystem. So there's quite a few areas of the data space that we work in, but everything we're all about data, nothing else but data, 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 <laughs> and that's 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 what that's what I love. So um, so yeah, that's that's a brief intro, and uh, it's uh, yeah, I mean it's been it's been a great great and exciting journey so far, and looking forward looking forward to what comes next this year. Well, I, I love it. I already think that one of the taglines for this episode is going to be data, data, data. So I, I I could hear the wheel spinning from my producer, Jared. He always likes to name these episodes. Data, data, data is a great start. And, you know, I, I, I want to check in because, you know, you are obviously the CEO and co-founder of IOTA, but your journey, it seems like you've had a variety of different positions or wore so many hats leading up to that. If you could talk to me a little bit about that. Sure. Do you mean specifically within IOTA? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, it's uh, it's interesting. When you when you found a company, obviously, you're forced to wear very many hats. And I think what was very interesting is when we founded the company, we had, uh, there were three co-founders and we had a really good complementary skill sets. And in my background, I think I'm... I, I'm the one that came in with the operational um, experience in the business. So I started off my career really in the trenches, trafficking, ad ops, then into account management, and then into eventually into sales and BD. So when as we as we built the company, the even from day one, obviously as a founder, you you do wear many hats. You're your sales, your coffee maker, you are BD, you're the admin filing contracts and, and everything else. Uh, but what I really developed into is I uh, for the initial launch of the company, I was doing a, a dual role of building up all of the all of the operational side of the business. Um, and building up the account management teams, as well as because I was physically based here in Europe, uh, I was also doing all the BD and, 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 and business build of bringing data providers on board and building first relationships with agencies and brands here, primarily across Germany and UK. Uh, so that's, that's how it started. And, and really, that was my remit because I was the one who, who, had, who had that skill set um, out of us. And then as, 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 we, as we grew and we hired someone to take over the operations full time, that's when I started, uh, you know, that's when I started branching into other things. And I kind of, I would, it's funny, the, one, of my, one of my co-founders always used to call me uh, a Swiss army knife because, I, I ha- because I've worked in so many different parts of the business, not just this business, but, uh, you know, in, in, in so many different parts of ad tech. Uh, it has been, it is easier for me to hop in between, in between different types of roles. So then after we, after we found someone for, 
to head up ad operation or to head up the operational side of the business, uh, it became very clear that the platforms were going to be a very key, uh, a very key group of clients that were going to dr- help us drive revenue and growth. Uh, so platforms for us, meaning partnerships with people like Google and the Trade Desk and AppNexus and well Xander and 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 Salesforce and Adobe and so on and so forth. So. What I then did was built out, uh, built out the strategies and the and the teams to, to build better relationships with uh, with the platforms, um, and then, yeah, I think, and then and then the best and the worst part came, uh, because I had my and then I ended up taking some time off to have a second child. And when I came back, I didn't want to travel because I had been traveling, you know, obviously massively for, for years and years. And I didn't, I, in that first year, I didn't really want to travel as I had been. And it was just in the time when we were getting ready to prepare for GDPR. So guess who got the very, very lucky opportunity to uh, co-head all of the GDPR compliance and project uh uh, project management, making sure that we that we had all our ducks in a row because it was something that was very easy for me to do uh, without traveling, and it was something that gave me a little bit more flexibility in in the hours of my work. Uh, so, so, so yeah, it was it was a very trying time. It was a very frustrating one, but it was actually I'm somebody who likes to get in the weeds and understand the ins and outs of a topic like that so that I can talk about it more intelligently. I don't like to talk about things that I have no idea about or don't know enough about. So for me, actually going into being so deeply involved in that process was actually very helpful because then when I was back out in market and talking about our privacy compliance and what we were doing to be compliant to GDPR and all the different uh, both operational and technology enhancements we had to make to do that, then I had all of that in my in my repertoire, you know, and, and into the into the as much detail as anyone needed to hear. Uh, so that was uh, yeah. So that was actually like like I said, a great part, um, a great part, and uh, and a complicated uh, complicated part. And then uh, yeah, then I was uh, focused on being uh, building out key customer relationships as chief customer officer, and uh, now most recently CEO. So yeah, it's been it's been. Uh, a very, very diverse, uh, diverse set of set of jobs over the last uh, over the last ten years, but loved every one of them. That's amazing, and I I, I love the trajectory trajectory in the story. Now you mentioned, uh, I remember speaking to you about it when we met for the first time, you and I, in San Francisco. But and you mentioned it again, being in Europe. You're based in Germany. Uh, h- how did that happen? <laughs> I am. I am. I'm based in Berlin. Uh, I've been in Germany for hard to believe twenty years already. I how did that happen? You know, I I had always wanted to live abroad, and not just travel or go for a year. I really wanted. There was something in me that wanted to get abroad and, and work and live and really try living abroad. Um, it does help. And my father is actually is German and. But he immigrated to the States when he was 19. So I grew up in America. My, my, my mother was American. And, but I think, I think the connection to you know, international life and, and you know, more, probably also a tendency to tor- towards Europe, that was, I think, embedded in me in some way, shape, or form. 
And then I, after college, I moved out to San Francisco and ended up, uh, ended up working at an ad tech company that eventually was the one that moved me to Germany. Um, so I worked, uh, I graduated in 98 and then I worked in at this company for a couple for about two and a half years in San Francisco and they needed help, uh, in the European markets. And I raised my hand very, very quickly and was able to make it over. I've been here ever since. So it's been quite a few different companies in the, in, in the meantime, but, uh, but still here and, and very happy. Great. Christina, I remember when we first met, uh, IOTA was breaking into the U.S. market. Uh, so how's that rollout been? Have you been happy with the uh, progress that IOTA has made in the U.S. markets? Absolutely. It's been, uh, you know, I think we had a, we had a really great, we had a great opportunity to enter the States at the time because we had so many partnerships with key clients across multiple markets internationally that were willing to move into the States with us. So we, we came into the States and obviously the beauty of programmatic is we were actually generating revenue in the States already with different data partnerships that we had without having anyone on the ground. So it wasn't a completely blank slate that we had to start with. Um, but in general, the, the, the growth has been fantastic. Um, and, you know, the adoption of, of the products in the market has been great. Um, you know, in the meantime, it's, it's about 50% of our revenue. Um, so it's growing massively and, uh, and hasn't slowed down. So yes, and we've been, we've been very, very happy with, with the market entry and the growth that we've had so far. Great. And, you know, we've had uh, a partnership with IOTA from the very start and we're very, grateful for the uh, partnership as well. And then how do you view the changes that are coming down the pipeline with cookies going away? I know there's a little bit of uh, mass hysteria in the marketing community over it. Yeah, it is. It's obviously a big change. Uh, As many will say, I don't think it's a, it was something all of us knew it was coming along the line. I think obviously recent announcements and the way things are going is really has has, just, has only accelerated it. I don't think it's, I think it's something that everybody was working towards regardless, but it just is becoming more of a reality. Uh, you know, I, in my opinion, we've, we've gone through so much evolution in this industry since I've been working in it you know, for over 20 years. I see this as we we, we work with a lot of very smart people um, who are good at solving problems. And I think at the moment, everyone is working on their own, uh, on their own solution, how they are going to handle things internally. There are obviously industry-wide initiatives to, to have everybody work together in finding solutions. So I think, obviously, I don't think any, anybody has a silver bullet yet, but everybody's working, working in that direction. And I think we'll see a lot of progress over the course of the next six, to six months to a year. So for us internally, it's a combination of, you know, so we don't only work with online identifiers. We work with, uh, we work with offline data sets. We work with contextual data. Um, we're the biggest changes I would say for us is we've upgraded the platform to include a, an IOTA universal, an IOTA ID um, that is a is a record ID in our system that will allow us to connect. Um, all the different identifiers we have into one. Don't, now we are not going to market with with an ID solution. This is really just in, internally for us. So we will be our, our approach is really has five tiers in it. It's one 
going to, we are starting to work with brands and some of the solutions that we have for the publishers will turn into uh, solutions that we can run on first party cookies. Um, we are actively um, working with publishers and data suppliers to also include hashed email ID as a part of identifier. We'll be supporting group IDs, like I said, contextual data, and also using transactional logs. Um, so, and then connecting that to an ID, we we always see ourselves as the as a, as a neutral enabler of activating data across the ecosystem. So we are also taking part in all relevant consortiums or or industry-wide initiatives or working with companies like ID5 so that any customer that we have who wants to get data from A to B and they're using they're using one sort of identifier over another that we can always that we can always support that. Um, so we always look for what's the solution that gives us the most us and our customers the most flexibility to transport and to activate and transport data across the ecosystem. And kind of related to that, uh, within the DMP category, uh, where I think most of us place IOTA within, uh, is there something that separates IOTA from the other competitors in the space that really makes it stand out? It's interesting. We 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 still get bucketed in the DMP category quite often, um, but we actually don't. We are a DMP in the in the sense that we run our business on a pri- on a proprietary DMP um, that we only use internally. For for clarity, what we what we don't do is we we don't offer D, a DMP technology and so any sort of white label solution. Um, so you know, it's not you. You wouldn't compare it to to a Salesforce or an Adobe or or anything like that. Um, but, but I think where it does it does fall into that bucket where people place us is that we do a lot of activation of data and distribute and distribution of data, also custom data sets um, for a lot of clients of ours. Um, so we do a lot of custom work, um, and, but it's primarily all around this uh, helping data um, helping data companies and publishers, uh, you know, find ways to, to distribute and monetize that data. Um, but it's not necessarily, we don't give the keys to anyone to say here, here's a platform, create your own segments and, and build those out. Um, so, and the, and the other thing that sometimes people put us in the DMP bucket is because we do offer onboarding services for companies like Experian and, and GFK and, and MasterCard and, that sometimes I think, you know, when people think about activating data in that sense, it also puts us in the DMP bucket, um, but not necessarily directly there. But we do we we obviously a lot of a lot of those use cases that um, in, you know, in terms of activation of data, primarily in in the open ecosystem or, you know, in kind of private private marketplace environments, uh, that is something we do we do enable. So I think if, if you look at what makes us different on uh, on the market is number one definitely the global uh, the global aspect of our business. Um, so, as you rightly mentioned, we the U.S. was actually the last market that we opened up in. We founded the company across three continents um, from day one. Uh, so, across Europe, Asia, where our headquarters is in Singapore and Australia, and we really. In the beginning, we focused exclusively on international markets, obviously because in the states there already was there already was a data, um, you know, there was a data uh, data offering. So you, at the at the time, you had Blue Kai and Xlate in market, and we didn't want to go after 
them in the States where we saw our value was really locking down and being the go-to data solution for everywhere outside of the States. And that's how we really started. That, that was the, 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 you know, the very beginning of our business. And then as I grew and we were making revenue in the States and a lot of our partners were asking us to support them in the States, that's when we ended up moving out there. So this ability to provide truly global, localized solutions with local support in market in Sydney and Singapore and London and Berlin and New York, um, you know, that is one, that is one aspect. Uh, you know, we also, we do a lot in terms of data quality and transparency. We just went through um, an auditing, uh, there's a, there's a new company in market called Neutronian that is, um, that is an auditor of data quality, an independent, a really great independent, um, independent offering that's out there. Uh, so we're doing a lot to just make sure we're educating transparent and market about, about data quality. Um, and then the onboarding is also something that is, is, is very unique, um, because it's something it's not, it's not based on, it's not onboarding based on personally identifiable information, um, which makes it very interesting because it's the only solution that can be um, that can be deployed globally with the same methodology and at scale. Um, so, like I said, you know, those, those are kind of the uh, the products that we have in market right now with Mastercard and um, with Mastercard and GFK and Experience, uh, and we'll be rolling out in the brand space this year. So, those are, those are the main things, um, and we're just fun to work with. <laughs> Did I, did I happen to mention that? We just, we like, we like our clients. We like our jobs. We, we, we like the data space. Uh, so we, pr- we pride ourselves in, 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 you know, also being really customer, customer centric and, and good and fun to work with. I, I will say, I will second that, you know, the fun to work with. And, and I think it's very important, you know, to build relationships and have fun at the same time while helping solve, you know, you know, for marketing solutions and data solutions. Christina, you mentioned something before. Well, obviously, you know, huge international presence. One of the tasks that you were set forth with is GDPR, the, the, the acronym that scared so many people. And, I, I just to that point, how are you adapting and complying with all the various regulations from country to country, continent to continent, considering your global presence? It is something that we we take very seriously because because we have such an inter- international focus, we have to make sure that we are following regulation and complying in any of these markets. And obviously, the data space, as you guys know as well, if anyone is under fire quickly with with all these changes, it's 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 our types of businesses. So there really is no wiggle room to not make sure that we have our our ducks in a row. And so what we do is GDP and actually GDPR was a great was a great uh, learning experience for us because because it was by far to date the most robust execution of, of privacy regulation and, and, and things that we had to had to get uh, get changed in in some of our processes and some of our systems. It was a very good starting point that I, I would say enabled us to to roll out things that we need to do to comply in other countries more quickly um, because you know because I think even though there are differences, I would say the principles around most of the other country regulations that are coming out are 
are relatively similar. So if you have the concept of consent, is it, uh, is it implicit or explicit consent? Uh, can you track it? Can you, can you log it? You know, obviously I think what hasn't really happened yet is outside of the EU with, with TCF um, 2.0, there, none of the other countries yet have had something as, 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 uh, Kind of a kind of a rounded out technologies answer to this so far. So I, I would say GDPR is by far the most uh, the most complicated we have in terms of a technology standpoint of implementation. But also, all these countries have the same concept of um, you, subject access requests. People being able to ask, "What data do you have on me?" Being able to process if somebody wants to be deleted from your system. Uh, making sure that all of your all of your contracts uh, have are in line with um, with the with data protection. So all of those things are actually pretty similar across countries. Now we have Thailand is coming up, and obviously um, you know Brazil has taken uh, Brazil is uh, you know not coming up anymore, but but uh, but working through it. So it it you know I think I think we'll see more and more coming out. Um, I just hope personally and selfishly that in terms of if there are any other countries that come out with technical, uh, technical frameworks that they are similar to, uh, similar to what we see today, because I think that's what really, that's what really takes a lot of, uh, a lot of effort from an additional resources from our side is if we have to if we have to do any more uh, more deep technical integration, CCPA was a little bit lighter for us, um, just because we don't, in terms of the technical implementation, um, just because of the type of data um, that we process and and since it's an opt out instead of an opt in. Well, and yeah, it's there's CCPA and GDPR, which you know a lot of companies here are are you know, have to comply with, and or worry about. But you have so many different regions and countries that you have to know the law and, and comply with. So uh, that is incredible. Uh, the acronym TCF for our listeners who don't know, and by listeners, I mean myself. Can you clarify what that is? Thank you. That's a very, that's a very good point. We try to stay, we should try to stay away from acronyms. Um, it is the Transparency and Consent Framework. Nice. And it was, it was launched by the, by the IBA here here in europe nice yeah we know we we love acronyms we're definitely in a business that has uh, a ton of acronyms we just and it's helpful to you know to get those out to the people and explain those so we do appreciate that absolutely yeah and i know in the uh u.s market at least uh, live ramp has sort of a dominant monopoly on the onboarding space but i think it would benefit the viewers to hear about your onboarding capabilities a little bit more, especially internationally, is uh, that's something we hear from our clients quite a bit as a need area. Yeah, so it's um, it, I have to be clear about a couple of things. It's not the way that we onboard data is not based on a PII match. So it's actually it's not a product we're bringing to market to go head to head with with deterministic one to one onboarding. What we offer is a solution that looks at that takes a takes a view of onboarding data across multiple known attributes. So, as, as you know, it's been very very difficult for any company really to date to build any sort of scalable deterministic matching as an onboarding product outside of the states and a few other international countries. 
it's you know it's something a lot of companies have been working on, and there you know there there is some movement on it. But if you talk to any brands um, about their ability to onboard outside of outside of the few markets, it's extremely very very challenging. And uh, you know some of that has to do with just getting the uh, getting the critical mass of match data to work off of. You obviously have countries where there are extreme privacy privacy regulation concerns that really limit the amount of data, uh, the amount of matching that you can do. So when we had originally looked at building an onboarding product, we looked at how could we, um, you know, it's how could we look at data in in another way, and look at if we it's it's not a one to one match for onboarding a you know a, a set of CRM. Uh, data that you want to build into a into a segment, but rather looking at the looking at the attributes that you know about any, and this is the interesting thing. So it moves it out of CRM only and into all offline data data repositories that that a brand has. So it's looking at what do I know about users that as so my customers based on multiple attributes. So those could be things like the postcode of their their home postcode. It could be their age. It could be their gender. It could be the inter, the the existence of or the presence of uh, children in the household. So what we do is we work with the brands to to find where these what these attributes are that are that are ones that they want to be able to build and target. And we use the data points that we uh, that we have from from our relationships with customers across all those markets and match those up. So it becomes a uh, the matching of multiple attributes instead of um, and non-PII attributes instead of um, instead of a one-to-one on CRM. So let me. I think it's it's kind of it's uh, it, it's much easier to understand if I give you an exact example. Let's say, for example, auto uh, auto brand. Now, if you have most of the auto um, auto brands and their dealerships, they have actually have very little first-party data and very little um, PII data linked to. Um, linked to that they, they, they can use for onboarding. However, they have loads of data about what type of what type of cars are being purchased in in what areas. They have data about car ownership and what those what those profiles look like. So what they can do with the way that we onboard is that, you know, in, in any of these markets, at the moment we do it in 25 markets, um, 25 markets across across the globe, they can use this intelligence that they have to build segments that say, okay, these are my, based on all the offline data that I have, purchase data and, and auto ownership data, they know exactly where their, their, where their customers are that are most likely to buy an SUV as opposed to a sports car. So we help them build these, you know, these, these intelligent audience segments based on, based on offline data, but not basing it on PII, so that it gives them ability to to scale it and 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 launch it globally um, without any sort of without any sort of issues. Got it. That's fascinating, Christina. Thank you for clarifying that. I was not aware of that, and I'll make sure our team internally knows about it as well. And then, kind of on a personal note, Christina, how are things in Germany? Are are you all still working remote? Uh, are businesses, uh, retail businesses still closed? Are they opening up? Would love to get uh, to know a little bit more about that. Everything here is at least starting to feel a bit more normal. So we were lucky enough to not be hit as hard as a lot of other countries. 
although there were there were a lot of infections, the, the death rate was also pretty low, and, and the infection rate to the point that was that was uh, becoming a, an issue for the health system to support. We never reached that point, so things things actually started opening up uh, quite a few weeks ago. So we've been stores have been open. Uh, my son went back to school two weeks ago. Uh, not full week and not full day, but they have, he's only in the third grade, the, my first son. Uh, but so they have the kids in a couple days a week and for half a day. And uh, we know we're allowed to have, we're allowed to see people. You're allowed to have people over at your homes, obviously in smaller groups, but things like soccer practice are starting. Also, again, in everything is, everything is, uh, Everything is a little bit different, obviously, with groups of, for example, soccer practice with with only six kids at a time, and and obviously nobody can get too close to each other. Um, but it does feel like at least we're at the point where we can get out, and stores are open, and you can leave a you can you can live a halfway halfway normal life again. It's just um, you know I feel very lucky that we're in this position. When I when I look at some of the craziness going on uh, going on around the world right now, yeah, abs- absolutely. And, and I was I was reading and watching the news. It seemed like Germany really you know jumped on it very quickly and and got things in in order there. Yeah, uh, you know, being in New York City where I live in in the epicenter uh, of this whole thing, uh, in the epicenter of a variety of, of things going on right now, it's you know. Uh, my son, who is three years old, he was going to a school two days a week, Christina. He's not going uh, anymore. It's virtual. So it's kind of, it's very hard to get a, a three-year-old to sit and watch a screen for- you know, I was just going to ask yeah. you that. I mean, I have a two and a half. My other one is two and a half, but I just keep thinking, how the heck would you do that? Yeah, uh, it's, it's difficult. I mean, if it was, if Moana was the teacher, maybe that would exactly. be- that would be a lot easier, but you know, and and living in New York City, I mean, we're faced with, you know, do we stay here? We're spending all this money to live here, and uh, you know, New York as as we know it, and how people, uh, the restaurants, Broadway shows, comedy shows, it's it's really, it's it's not going to happen or open up until. Uh, even in full capacity, I think for a really long time at, at the full capacity. So, we're we're definitely you know navigating these waters very lightly over the next few months as my lease ends in uh, November in this building that we're in now. But, you know, it, it is a crazy time. Uh, one of the thing we like to, uh, one of the things we like to ask all our guests are, uh, you're a CEO. How many, what's the right messaging? Because we have a lot of salespeople who listen to this podcast. What's the right messaging that you prefer to be reached out to on LinkedIn? What, what's the method that says, you know what, I, I will reach back out to you. And then to the flip side of that, what's the method you hate? And it's just a big pet peeve of yours when someone's reaching out to you. For reaching out over LinkedIn, and I think this goes for any, for any channel, short, sweet, direct, Tell me what the value, what you need, directly what you need for me or what you have for me. I don't want to go, uh, you know, when you have so many things on your plate, just catching up for the sake of catching up and, hey, would you like to connect? Because I think we have a lot of things in common. That doesn't get you anywhere. <laughs> 
So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm always very open and I do check LinkedIn and, uh, you know, all, all of my channels, I'm very open to receiving emails and, um, listen, I mean, I think sales is a hard job and I think it's, and I've, you know, I've been in that position myself and I want to know what's out there. I want to know if there's opportunities that I'm missing. I want to know what kind of products I, you know, could, could be of value to me. So I, but the message has to be clear in the initial, in the initial um, outreach about what that value is. So that's, that's really, and don't write a book. Really, you know, everybody understands that you want to get a little, get a lot, get a lot in. Obviously, LinkedIn controls that anyway because because uh, you're limited at least on the first contact of how much how much you can write. But that would be there. And, and my pet peeves in terms of um, in terms of negatives uh, is number one, people who can't take a no um, if you've taken the time to to listen what they had to say and just you know, said it's, you know, it's not, it's not for us, at least not at this time. And I, I personally always try to be very direct about it's nothing for us because, and, or it's just nothing, it's nothing for us right now, but I can imagine revisiting this in six months. Can you please get in touch again in six months? Um, If somebody can't take that no and just keeps pushing and pushing and pushing, that's when you just get, you know, that's when it just becomes white noise and I delete everything I see. The other thing on a similar note is cold emails where where somebody just keeps saying, "I guess you didn't see my last email. I guess you didn't see my last email." <laughs> and uh, for all of those writing that, yes, I did see your last email, and I'm just not replying because it's not something that is uh, that either I have time for right now or that is that is interesting for our business. Oh, actually, I'll tell you another. I unfortunately I have more pet peeves. Than, I, I, than no, this things. is great. Yeah. Uh, do your research before you write an email. Oh my gosh! I mean, sometimes the, the the products that people could reach out to you with, and I don't know if it's a I don't know if it's a method where it's just spray and pray in terms of uh, in terms of in terms of email marketing, but uh, you know, there's nothing also that gets me gets me more riled up than somebody who's trying to sell me something who obviously has no idea what I do or what we do. I like I like this. I always like the the our guests AJ who have uh, you know more of the the negative pet peeves, which is which is great because it helps it, it helps people. And, and some of this stuff, Christina, I take back to our own sales team, and you know to see if they're doing that to to avoid that. The one thing that I don't like is if I connect with someone, and within like thirteen seconds they sell me on something. I was like, can, can, you know, the, I said the, the, the ink, I said, my, my enter key still warm. Like I just accepted the, the invite, like this, this is crazy. And, and I'm all, I'm always a big fan of, because I appreciate this in partnerships and in business development, the no, I appreciate the no. And I even say that to someone who tries to sell me on something. I say, you know what? It's no. And I even say in the email, I know you appreciate that as a salesperson. It's, that, that's kind of that's kind of it. And like you said, also then respecting that that no. So um, I, I love that. We're, we're, we're almost done here. I just have a, another question that a lot of people, uh, I think, are in need uh, in need of knowing right now is, is that you as a CEO, how are you keeping up with the morale? Uh, are you having 
Are you having, um, you know, Bloody Mary parties that you're not getting invited to? Uh, what's what's going on? Uh, what are you doing to, to keep uh, to keep the employees yourself, uh, you know, motivated during this time? A lot of communication, a lot of communication on every channel possible, and it's almost it probably is a little bit too much. But I'd rather have it be too much and people turn some things out, like, turn some things off, than than not have it be enough. Because I think in a time like this, when everyone is so insecure about what is happening, and obviously people see the news about the industry and what's what's going on and are fearful for what this means for, for all of us and all of our companies and how they'll be affected. People have, uh, you know, people are worried about, about friends and family and, and, and everything else. So it's just, I think, for over-communicating in the, at, at the moment is the best thing that I feel I can do. Um, you know, in the beginning that just began with keeping people up to date on what we were, what we were planning. Um, you know, even if we weren't ready with things, just so people knew that we have, we had it on the radar and we were looking for solutions and, um, you know, openly communicating about where we were and where we are in terms of reopening offices. And even if, and, and being honest with them, you know, I think that's also, we've been, I've been trying to, stay honest about what we know and what we don't know. And, you know, some of these things we'll just have to figure out as we go along. Uh, so I think, I mean, that has come come across well. And I think people, people just appreciate knowing, knowing, knowing where everything stands. Um, you know, I think, I think that gives, that gives people some, uh, some sense of sense of security and, and calmness in, in the situation. And, in and, you know, we, we also, we have always been a very distributed company and team. So for us, it, it's no, it's no big change for a lot of us to be on a lot of video calls and a lot of, uh, a lot of, um, you know, audio, audio calls and, and virtual meetings. So that's not a big change, but I think for those people in the, that generally are, are sitting together in the office, it's obviously, it's obviously a big change. So, you know, we've had, we have team socials. I, I started doing a vlog with just uh, regular updates from myself we started doing more regular company meetings just because things are changing. We're getting more information as we go along so quickly. We're just making sure we keep everybody up to date. Um, you know, I try to check in with individuals regularly across the company just to make sure that they're doing okay and see how their personal situation is going. Um, and just being understanding. You know, I think that's also, it's not easy for any of us, um, you know, particularly as you mentioned, people with kids and families and trying to manage work hours and school hours and this and that. And, uh, you know, just, I think keeping it, keeping a little bit of a sense of humor and having patience and, uh, and supporting each other is, is the best we can do. Yeah. Th thanks, Christina. Uh, I, I have definitely learned, um, if you have bloody merry hours, make sure you send not just an email invite because Vincent could possibly miss that, but also some sort. Yeah, this has been awesome. Uh, you know, I just for, for me, especially just meeting you, uh, you know, once and and uh, getting to know you then and just hearing more about yourself and, and, and what you're doing at IOTA. This has been awesome. Uh, where can people find you, uh, get in touch with you about any product or service at, at, at IOTA, uh, what, what do you recommend? What's the best method? 
Um, I, you can, <laughs> so as I already said, I'm happy, happy to take, uh, to take any sort of emails. So that, I think that means I have to give her my personal email now. Um, so, that's up to you. I'm absolutely fine with that. No. So like I said, very, very happy. Anybody who wants to reach out, who wants to know more or ask anything about what we do or, um, you know, anything, anybody who wants to talk about data, 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 data. Uh, so, uh, you can find me on LinkedIn, um, and you can also uh, very welcome to reach out to me at kprokop at iota.com. That's K-P-R-O-K-O-P at iota.com. And make sure you listen to the episode, ladies and gentlemen out there, and follow the LinkedIn targeting suggestions for reaching out to Christina. If you don't, she's not going to get back to you. So this is a lesson and she's given you the opportunity to reach out to her. Uh, Christina, this has been awesome. Thank you so much again. Um, this is Christina Prokop from uh, IOTA, the CEO and co-founder. This has been another episode of The Marketing Stir. Thank you so much for listening. That's AJ Gupta. I'm Vincent Petrofessa. Thank you and talk to you soon. Thanks so much. Thanks for listening to the Marketing Stir podcast by Starista. Please like, rate, and subscribe. If you're interested in being a guest on the podcast, email us at info at themarketingstir.com. Thanks for listening.